This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Welcome to Dishy Mix. I'm your host, Susan Bratton. And on today's show, I'm with a very special guest. His name is Joe Sugarman. You may have heard of him because he is, in fact, a legend in direct response marketing and infomercials. You probably have heard of him associated with his biggest and most famous achievement, which was blue blocker sunglasses. And uh, Joe is also the president of STEM Cell Products. And uh, he is here with me in New York at the ClickBank Exchange, and he just got finished addressing a room full of avid fans and followers, and I have the great luxury of having him one-on-one here to do a Dishy Mix. So, Joe, welcome to the Dishy Mix Show. Well, it's good to be here, Susan. <laughs> so, uh, the first thing that I want to know is, um, if you had to explain what you were famous for, because I bet you'll do it better than I, what do you think it is that you're most well-known for, Joe? Well, I think the fact that we sold 20 million pair of blue blockers created a brand name uh, because I think the ultimate thing in marketing is creating brand. And so I would say that was probably the the biggest achievement, Uh, although we've had a lot of others, but uh, that one really stands out. And you really, uh, you're known for your psychological and persuasion triggers. And uh, you honed the understanding of those by starting in direct marketing and moving into the infomercial world where you discovered the way that humans respond to marketing messages and what it is that gets them to take action of different kinds, right? Well, it really, uh, I didn't uh, find anything out Uh, I found a lot out in infomercials, but all of it came from print Mm -hmm. because I'd run an ad and then I would uh, say to myself, wait a second, I'm going to test another approach. And I test a different approach and it would work sensationally or it wouldn't work. But through all these tests and all this experimentation, I really got to know what worked and what didn't. And direct marketing is very counterintuitive. What you think will work sometimes doesn't, and what you think won't work sometimes does. And so testing is the real key. Absolutely. And uh, you're talking to an audience that really gets that because uh, the marketers who listen to Dishy Mix certainly understand that you are always testing everything. And that's what we do. You, as a child, wrote a jingle and won an award for it, uh, wrote essays that made your, your class crack up. You've, you were a writer early on. You naturally fell into the advertising business and positioning unique products with your copywriting skills. What are some of the things that you would tell a person who has an interest in learning copywriting and wants to become masterful at that? What are some of the ways that they can hone their skills? Well, the first thing is, of course, is to read some of the best copywriting books. Um, I've written a couple of them that uh, have helped a lot of people, but I'm sure there are others out there too. But become an expert uh, on copywriting, really, and that's and that's easy because there are books available. Um, the second thing, after being an expert, is to keep writing. And what people don't realize is the more you write, the better you get. And uh, so I just love to write, and I just keep writing and writing and writing, and, and I do my own catalogs, and I never hired a copywriter. I always did it myself. And so it was this constant, this constant business of, 
of writing that really perfected my skill. But again, you become an expert. Uh, you become an expert in something you're very passionate about, let's say copywriting. And then uh, you write as often as you can. Now, I've taken, uh, I used to give seminars. And at these seminars, I'd have just ordinary people that were kind of curious what it took to get out the message, create a brand, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one particular case where there was a farmer from Texas, and he had an ad agency, but he was kind of curious. He wanted to find out what my what little tricks I, I did when I wrote copy. So he came to my seminar and spent uh, five days. My seminars were that long. And then left and went to the Holiday Inn Motel nearby where I gave the seminar and and wrote an ad that he has now run for 10 consecutive years. Uh, it made him a fortune. And here's a guy that was not creative, never knew how to write an ad, always relied on his ad agency. And he sat down and wrote an ad that was a killer ad. And so it, it, um, it doesn't take, you don't have to be creative. Uh, you have to have the passion, I think. I think that's key. You have to have the passion to really want to learn. And uh, that combined with uh, becoming an expert in whatever you decide to learn about, I think that will, that makes for great copy uh, copywriters. Go a level deeper uh, beyond becoming an expert, you know, reading a lot, studying, practicing. Go a level deeper if there are any, any models or systems or any ways you think about structuring communication when you're writing, specifically in advertising a product to someone for purchase. How do you think about that? Well, first of all, every message is a personal message. I make that me- I I use bylines. For example, I'll put my name there. Um, I'll, t- I'll say I, me, we. Uh, in other words, I use words that connotate, it's kind of a, like a personal message. Now, I might be reaching millions of people, but it comes across as a personal message, and people relate to that. They, 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 they respond better. Uh, I mean, I've run tests where by simply making it a personal message as opposed to, we here at uh, such and such a company want, you, you know, that that doesn't work today. We here at Didactic Corporation. <laughs> so uh, other structures or models or ways that you think about good writing? Hmm. I, I think the personal message is very strong. And uh, I think if you master that, uh, the triggers that I have that I've written about in my books uh, involve three things. One is to develop a level of trust. The second is to create an environment for selling. And the third is to trigger a sale. So that's those are the purposes of the triggers. So you want to create an environment where people feel comfortable ordering from you. You want to build trust by being honest in everything that you say in your advertising. And you want to tr- be able to trigger a sale by making an offer at a specific time or um, creating a, an incentive at a certain time to purchase that particular product or service. It works for both. What are some of the ways that you can engender more trust through your copy? Because I think trust is the hardest. It's pretty easy to set up the environment for a sale and to go through a selling process, objection raising, objection handling, some of your triggers around that. But I think trustworthiness is the most difficult. Well, the object raising and the object resolution uh, really are beautiful examples of... um, building trust because 
Um, I, I had a slide, uh, for example, of an ad that Bo Boeing ran, or excuse me, Douglas ran. Douglas, they had this DC-10, and it crashed. And uh, shortly thereafter, another crash with a DC-10. And then shortly after that, another crash with a DC-10. So they, they came out with an advertisement that says, the DC-10 is really a great plane. Well, everybody knows that it was crashing all over the place. I mean, they were trying to build up their image. What they should have said was, look at the DC-10 has been crashing all over the place, but there's something you need to know about its safety and about what we're doing now to make sure it is the safest plane in the sky. You know, and that would have been a lot more effective. Uh, I've taken, for example, there was a thermostat that was presented to me. And I started out the ad by saying this was the ugliest thermostat I've ever seen. It, it had old technology. The case was terrible. The name Magic Stat was stupid. Uh, and, and I start raising all of these issues that you would uh, theoretically see if you looked at the, uh, you know, at the product. So and then I disarmed the people by saying, but we did find one thing that was really interesting. It, it's ease of installation. Because that, believe it or not, was a major block to selling anything like a thermostat. The installation. Nobody really wanted to install anything electrical. And I said the reason it was so easy to install was because the yellow wire goes to the yellow lead and, it, and it's only 28 volts and you can touch it and not worry, you won't get an electric shock. And So I decided I'd take it home and try it on my wall. And that's when I discovered this is the most incredible product I have ever seen. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So in other words, I raise all these issues and then I resolve them. And people develop, number one, a level of trust, because that's, again, uh, raising a, an objection and resolving it. And that's really important, because the reader, if in the back of their mind, has something that bothers them about that product, they're not going to buy. So you've got to raise that so that it, it's no longer an issue. Okay, so keeping on with trustworthiness, are there any other things besides the kind of calling out of obvious warts in a product? That's a good one. Are there other things that you can do to create or engender trust with your prospect? Well, number one, uh, be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, and there's another technique too where you don't have to be so obvious. You could let the reader come to their own conclusion. Like I remember we were selling a digital watch that Sanyu or Sony or I forget who it was was selling uh, for three hundred. We were they were selling it for three hundred dollars. Could have been Casio. <laughs> you know, it probably was Casio. Yeah, back then, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, it was probably Casio. You're right. Good, good, good memory. Um, yeah, it was a Casio watch, and uh, I talked about it in the ad, saying that that the the, um, the jewelry stores love it because they sell them for three hundred dollars, and it only costs. The uh, jewelry store is 150 and they love this product because they can't keep them in stock. And then I presented my digital watch, which was $100, had the same features. Now, I didn't say that the jewelers were making all kinds of profit on it. I didn't have to. It, 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 the reader made that a connection. So, in other words, when you allow the reader to come to the right conclusions, uh, it's a stimulating thing for the brain, and, and they appreciate that. Uh, another thing that I do to build confidence is I'll put in a technical explanation. For example, um, I remember uh, writing an ad on this uh, laser beam digital watch, and then there was a little picture of 
the integrated circuit and a, um, a pen pointing to the uh, integrated circuit. And I said something like, this integrated circuit is the key to the, uh, the system. It uh, works with the countdown oscillator to achieve the blah, 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 all technical stuff. And the manufacturer called me and I said, Joe, you don't have to put that in. Nobody would understand it. I said, that's the point. They think that I really know my stuff because I'm pointing out this technical feature. And it's important we have that paragraph in there. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a form of building trust. They trust the fact that my uh, research and my statements and my technical explanation mean that I really know what I'm talking about. And therefore, picking this product to sell is, uh, is a very uh, good thing. When you were on stage today, you took off, you, you were dressed very nicely, you had on your suit, you had on a tie, you had on a dress shirt, and then later you took it off and uh, you had on this fabulous uh, tight, what were the undershirt, kind of a workout shirt, and One you're these in mus muscle, muscle shirts. shirts and you're in amazing condition. For a 73-year-old man, you look absolutely incredible. Is this a part of what you're doing with the stem cell products company? Is it related to that? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about uh, it. I, well, I waited to the end, as you noticed, uh, before I... Well, we would have not been able to hear what you said because you were dazzling us all, Joe. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, no, the, uh, the pr we are selling products that actually uh, reverse aging uh, in many different ways. Uh, for example, we have a hair product that grows hair mm -hmm. on bald-headed men. Nice. We have a product for women that, that actually thickens the hair and grows hair as well for women. Uh, women have similar but different issues um, as well, far as hair. It's different hormones you have to trigger. Right, right. and mm -hmm. we have uh, a, um, uh, a libido product for women. Mm -hmm. And men are just as interested in it as well because they want to look sexy to their mates. And uh, we have uh, have reports of uh, women who who have had hysterectomies, who hadn't had sex for like 10 years and are now actively involved in, in pleasing their husbands or their mates. We have skin care products that uh, use uh, stem cell technology to uh, eliminate wrinkles. And, you know, our theory is, and is, or my theory is, and I see it every day, is that technology is moving so quickly that within the next 10 to 15 years, we will have solved, uh, uh, we would have cured just about every disease, and we would have, we would live to about 120. Mm. And I, we're well on our way. Uh, the new gene check technology and, and, and what's happening in the biotech area is, is, is startling. And we're right in that business. And actually, what got me back into that business was, uh, using some of the products, um, uh, realizing that I could help millions of people, which has been my motivation ever since I've been in business. The female product, it's called Pure... Pure Fulfillment. Pure Fulfillment. And how does it work? Well, it's, it's a homeopathic product. Mm -hmm. You could uh, rub it on any part of your body. It's primarily used for lubrication for, you know, in the... Vaginal dryness, probably. Right, right. Like and, that. Mm -hmm. Right. And... Um, it, uh, it it takes about oh three four days when it, and then you start feeling the effects. Now I don't know it's for women, but mm -hmm. th that's what I understand. And uh, the women love it, and the, the husbands. You, I, I was actually taken back. I thought women would buy the product, but the husbands are buying the product because they want to look sexy. Uh, they want to look more attractive to their mates. They they they'd like to have uh, you know more fun in bed as well. So we're selling a lot of that product to to men. So that's exciting. And then we have an addiction product. It's uh, really vitamins for the brain. When you're addicted to smoking alcohol or drugs, 
you uh, destroy the neurotransmitters in your brain. And those uh, neurotransmitters, um, they need uh, nutrients to, to, to rebuild. And we sell a little pro a product that you mix with water and drink. And um, it uh, helps you reduce the, uh, the cravings. And uh, we have had fabulous success with that. So all of these things, you can see, help millions of people, mm -hmm. help them in, in, in times when they are really in need. Mm -hmm. And it's a thrill for me to be involved in something like that and, and to pioneer in the areas that we're in. And we've been uh, at this now for five and a half years. Well, you've always liked cutting-edge technologies, even when they were, you know, the very first early electronics. Um, I want to go back to that personal product, because the reason I asked about it was that that's a very delicate subject, talking to a woman about her sex life or even talking to a man about his woman's sex life. That's just loaded with emotions, a lot, potentially a lot of pain a couple might be having if they're not making love anymore. How do you go about creating empathy for your prospect? And how do you communicate something when it's a very personal, emotional product that might make them potentially recoil through the pain they're feeling or the embarrassment of it or what have you? What are some of the triggers you might use or the approaches you might take for something like that? Well, I, I think for this product, because I've had some experience with it, it's fairly new. It's, it's only been out a couple months. But with this product, uh, we have not had any of that. Uh, it's one of these products that people understand what it does. Uh, we have testimonials that um, are very credible and, and, and uh, you know, ex explain the product very, very thoroughly. Uh, so we really don't have problem. We don't have that particular problem. Now, the, the problem that we do have <clears throat> is with drugs, drugs, alcohol, and, and smoking, because <clears throat> very often people who buy that product are the uh, friends or the relatives or the of the people who are addicted, who who would not want that product. And so it's important that you develop a, a very good uh, rapport uh, and you understand that concern, and then that and you use that knowledge to come up with a, a way to present the product so that they could present it to the person who's addicted. What's your process for getting into a prospect's world and getting the empathy that it takes to write to them and speak to them in a way that's going to move them from prospect to customer? Number one, you become an expert. You just totally become an expert. You, you become an expert on the product. You become an expert on the customer. And how do you do that, though? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, I had an insurance salesman who came to my home in the very early days when I was selling the pocket calculator. And he would come and he'd buy calculators for his friends. And he'd say to me, Joe, you really need insurance. It's to protect your family and all. And I would say, no, I'm not interested in the insurance. I, I really am not. And then he'd send me articles about pocket calculators and other electronics in the mail. And he became a good friend. And then one day, I'm sitting up in the bedroom, and I hear sirens, and an ambulance pulls up to my neighbor's home, and my neighbor had died, and they brought him to the hospital, and it was, it was a shock. I picked up the phone, and I said, Howard, uh, you know that insurance you were talking about? Well, very often, uh, if, if you understand the product, for example, burglar alarms, you're not going to get excited about buying a burglar alarm unless you felt there was an impending problem. If your neighbor got robbed, chances are you're going to be serious about looking for the best burglar alarm. Well, we had advertised uh, a burglar alarm, and, and um, what we discovered was that 
people would save that article and and send it excuse me save our ad and then send it in months later mm-hmm. sometimes 6 months later uh, wanting the, the the burglar alarm and so we we realized that that's a product that people when they feel threatened will then buy what's well, the same idea of the way I bought insurance uh, it was I uh, he, I, I, he knew me well enough. Uh, we became friends, which was one of the first steps. And then I saw that I saw the need. Not, I mean, he could explain it from now until whatever. But if until I saw the need, it was you know that it didn't matter. Are there any products or services that you've always wished you could have marketed? Was there something you would have loved to have gotten your hands on? Something someone else was botching that you know that you could have made a multi-million dollar product or something you'd always dreamed that you would love to market to consumers? Uh, well, I've yeah, there have been products that, uh, for example, Canon came out with a product, couldn't sell it. They just couldn't sell it. It was just an unusual format for a calculator. I, I forget exactly the details but it was just different, and uh, they just couldn't sell it. And then they came to me, and I became, as I said before, as a, an expert on the product, and I figured out an angle to sell it at, a concept. You, you always sell with concept. You never sell the product. You sell a concept about the product. What's an example of the concept for that Canon product? Well, without using the Canon product, oh. uh, let's say, uh, for example, they had a, uh, okay, here's another product they had, Canon, was a little calculator, and you could store telephone numbers in the in the calculator, and they had offered it to a few other people, and they bombed. They could not sell it, um, and so they came to me. They came to me, and they uh, said, "Here, this is for you." And what it, what I did is I called it the Pocket Yellow Pages, and I talked about this. I, I, it was storytelling. I talked about how. I stepped into this phone booth, and people are waiting to get into the phone booth, and I pull out my my Canon calculator, I enter a few digits, and there comes uh, pops up a phone number. Everybody else was astounded, you know, and, and, I, and that's the concept. In other words, I created a concept. The concept was I was relating it, linking it to something that... Um, that that uh, people could relate to and they could understand from the story. Uh, and it's a process called linking. You want to link to something you, you know or you remember very clearly, like we all remember 9-11. I mean, you remember where you were, what you were doing, everything about that. I mean, I remember one funny little story that I talk about in my book was that I was with this young lady and uh, we're walking through the woods, we're hiking through the woods, and we're talking about our fantasies, and, and I said, uh, well, my fantasy is to have some really fancy sports car and live on a, de- uh, a tropical island and and um, uh, be wealthy and all this kind of stuff. And and then uh, I said, and what's your fantasy? Oh, she says, oh, my fantasy is my fantasy is is uh, uh, making love with the entire Brazilian soccer team. Well, I never forgot that event. I remember where I was. I, re- I remember that very clearly. So it's a process called linking. <laughs> and now we'll always remember that story. Uh, this has been a racy episode, Joe. So you've been working with people who follow you as marketer, as an ad man, as a copywriter, as a, an expert, and 
you have these 29 psychological triggers. Have you been discovering more? Are there more out there or yeah, were there only 29? Well, that's funny you bring that up because actually now there are 31. Oh, there's 31. Yeah, what, are the, 30. what are the latest two? Well, the, uh, no, actually. It's like two only... new elements just discovered. A new planet in the solar system and Joe Sugarman has two new triggers. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, I know I always had 30. I don't know where people came up with 29. Oh, um, really? Yeah, there's always 30. Maybe we've been getting gypped. Our box didn't have all of the pieces. <laughs> Well, we have uh, 31 actually is fear. A lot of people, I didn't realize this at the time, but I saw that people have fear. Either they're going to lose the opportunity to buy this product or uh, they fear if they don't get it, uh, they're, they're going to miss out on something. But fear is a, is a, is a trigger as well. So um, probably one of the most important triggers is um, a sense of urgency. In other words, you want to let people know that if they don't buy within a certain period of time they're going to lose out um but it's got to be credible i mean it can't be phony it's got to be truthful or uh we only have x amount of products in stock i i we ran a campaign where we explained we only had 1200 of these picasso uh, tiles these prints that we made up with the permission of the picasso estate Limited, limited, limited edition, edition. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, and we, collect all five. That's one of yours. You know, desire yeah. to collect, desire to belong. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And we ran that ad stating we only had twelve hundred, but and we're going to determine who to sell it to by virtue of a special drawing. In other words, the, we're going to take all the orders we get, we're going to put them in our computer, and then we're going to pick twelve hundred, and that's the limit. Well, the strategy was. To make this so exciting that we would sell 12,000, excuse me, get 12,000 entries, pick the winners, but then what a hell of a mailing list. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we followed it up with an, uh, a second mailing on a second series of Picasso tiles and had an 80% return rate, 80%. Everybody who thought they missed out on the first one and missed out on the opportunity missed out on taking advantage of the financial gain that they could get they were ready to buy and they bought and they bought 80 percent of them bought mm-hmm. so you know I'm, I'm really surprised response nobody- rate not return rate you said return rate i, I thought oh are this 80 percent of them sent it back but no, you were no, saying 80, response yeah yeah, yeah. Re- return on, on, on the yeah okay response right you're right it. yeah um so and i'm surprised not too many people have ever used that concept where you oversell mm-hmm. and then you come back and you say okay we've got um we've got more uh, of course picasso was a special name and it was around the time shortly after he passed away and we were we had some pretty good connections with the picasso estate and they actually came to us and and suggested we offer that so um yeah so we had some interesting times back then You've had some interesting times. And yet I also wonder what it's been like for you the last couple of days at the ClickBank Exchange, because you gave your book to a 17 year old in the audience. I noticed there was a 19 year old in the audience, you know, Russell Brunson, I'm not sure how old he is, but he's definitely still in his 20s. And he got up and did a segment, you know, there's a lot of young people doing internet marketing. And you've been here for the last couple of days, watching them speak. And I wonder, what do you think about the digital natives now who are marketing on the internet who are using a lot of your your triggers and your teaching and other copywriting uh, techniques? Are they exactly the same as their progenitors? Or are they an entirely different breed? What do you notice? Well, uh, f- first of all, let me say that the internet is one of the most incredible mediums ever developed for, be- for a lot of reasons. But one of them is you can be now any age, 
you could be female, male, it doesn't matter. You could be, um, uh, you know, any, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's just leveled the you playing field. You still can't field. be a dog because they can't type, but pretty much anything with that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, there might be a dog can, in the there future. There might be a dog in there. <laughs> But it's, 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 uh, it's really leveled the playing fields. Now, as far as people using my triggers or my information, oh, it's been going on for years. I don't mind that at all. I'm really proud. I'm happy to, 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 to influence people. And there are many times here at ClickBank even where people have come up to me and said, Joe, you have influenced my life. Um, you, you, I was not, it was going nowhere. I read your books. I, it changed my life. And I, I have examples of, um, David Ogilvy, for example, was a fan of mine. I didn't realize this until somebody uh, got his books after he passed away, and saw that in his books, in my he, that one of his books was my book uh, that I wrote 31 years ago, and uh, uh, it, uh, he was so influenced by it, he'd underline it and mark it. And a lot of his ads were direct marketing oriented as well, even though there were consumer ads, but they came across like direct marketing. So that was a thrill because he's influenced millions of people, and I've influenced doctors who expanded their practices, uh, uh, just thousands and thousands of people. And that to me is a thrill. And I, 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 mean, I don't, you don't like when somebody copies you, uh, but I, I don't mind either. I, I, as long as they're doing it in an honest and forthright way, uh, by all means. What is the part of your work that people misunderstand the most or abuse or incorrectly leverage and you see them making a mistake about it? Well, you don't like to see dishonesty. You don't like to see people covering up a fault. Uh, but uh, um, you're, you're going to get all kinds. And what people have to realize is that the more honest you are, the more integrity you have, that comes through. If you're dishonest, even slightly, they're gonna, the, the, the consumer picks that up. I mean, uh, and I'm, 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 not, I'm not perfect. In the beginning, early stages, I would cover up a few things. I wouldn't mention a few things. And I, I saw the consumer knew right away. They saw right through that. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, it's... False alarm, false scarcity, whatever it might be. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, just be honest and have integrity. And, and I, I try to do that in my entire life. In other words... Um, I, I try to help people. I try to be honest with people. And, uh, yeah. Have you read any books, and we're winding down now, uh, have you read any books recently that you thought took the work that you've done or other work in persuasion or neuromarketing or uh, psychology to the next level that you've really appreciated? Well, I, I read recently a book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. Mm -hmm, that was good. The 10,000 Hours. Yeah. Uh -huh. the, the, yeah, he's the, a good writer. The reason people are successful, and it's sometimes what you least expect. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I related to some of that. I mean, 10,000 Hours, I've been a copywriter almost most of my life. And so you would think that after a while I would really know what I'm doing. And uh, so that, that was, that's, that was uh, impressive. I, I enjoyed that book. Um, and there, oh, gee, was there a lot of books? Uh, I, I like the books that he's written. The, uh, uh, Blink, Blink, that's a good and, one. Yeah, Tipping then, Point. Yeah, Tipping Point. That mm -hmm. was a good one. And then I liked a lot of the old classics. You know, a lot of the uh, there are things that I learned from. I, I read as much as I can, but I know, for example, 
when the toll-free number became really popular, I eliminated the dotted lines around a coupon. And I read a book that said you should have dotted lines around a coupon because that will increase your sales. And mm -hmm. I said, Semiotics, well, the dotted line means a discount. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I thought to myself, no, nah, that's not true. So I, but I said, I'll do a test. And so I was able to do a test and I found out that I got a 30% higher return when I used those dotted lines around the information. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had been eliminating the dotted lines for two years and I thought back of all the money that I left on the table because I didn't have those dotted lines. And so it's helpful sometimes to read these books and to become an expert in whatever field you're in and uh, um, just to have a library of uh, really good information that yeah. uh, you can re refer to. Resources. I wondered if you'd read uh, Sally Hogshead's book. I really like her recent book. It's called Fascinate, The Seven Triggers to Fascination and Persuasion. She looks at the limbic system and she says that the triggers are um, alarm, prestige, power, vice, mystique. And there's a couple more. I, I have to count them on my fingers to get them all. Did you read that book? It's funny. I didn't read the book, but I did uh, see her website and uh -huh. heard her talk. And uh, well, you know, she's talking about triggers. Um, when I wrote my book, there there was nobody talking about triggers. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, it's become very common in the uh, absolutely in the, in, the, in, the, in the jargon. And as a matter of fact, in this recent budget crisis, everybody was talking about triggers. Uh, you know that uh, certain certain things would trigger yeah. a certain response. And so I thought that was kind of funny. So trigger has become a big word, and uh, uh, it's been used in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. Well, that's a legacy that you've created. So, Joe, thank you so much for being on Dishy Mix. It was really nice to get to know you, to see you speak today, and to have my listeners get an opportunity to hear more about you. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Susan, for having me, and I hope uh, I've helped people in some of their thinking. And, and Oh, I uh, think you have, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I'm your host, Susan Bratton. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode with Joe Sugarman. I'll see you next week. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.